0: story really quickly. And it relates, it's, it's a real simple, today's a little bit heavy. Can I tell you that? This message is, we're going to get into it a little bit. I'm going to be direct. We're going to hear from God. There's a little, maybe some conviction. Maybe some healing is going to come. Maybe a little bit of, of thoughtfulness. Maybe a little bit of wrestling with a word that we're going to hear this morning. But that's okay. That's a good place to be in. Um, we can't be light and fluffy all the time. Amen? In our faith, we got to get real. We got to dig in here a little bit. But let me tell you this really quick story that, that God kind of gave me just as just a simple kind of silly picture. But it's this. One of the things I like to do in my spare time, um, besides surfing, does anybody know what I like to do in my spare time, one of my hobbies? Shelling! You guys are A for you, A for you, A for you. You guys pay attention. OK. So one of the things I found that I like to do is I like to go shelling. I like to go diving, just not deep with tanks, but just snorkeling. And in my days off, in my 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 Sabbath moments and my Selah rest times. I like to be underwater and I like to look at fish and cruise around the reef and the sand. I like to find shells. Shells are the bonus. If I can find some awesome shells, I feel like, man, I'm in God's creation getting rest, but I'm also being blessed. So there's a spot that I, I used to go to. I still go to. I discovered a few years back, and it's always been a good spot, meaning I got a lot of shells. I scoop shells, right? I collect them. I give them to some of my friends. I make jewelry. I try to make crafts and stuff. I give them away. But I just love the, the the treasure hunt of it all and the relaxing thing that it does for me. So I used to go to the spot, and it was always plentiful. I would always dive around, and I would always find all kinds. My favorite are the miters. You guys know what the miters are? Those like red, yellow, or orange really brightly and and white. Anyways, this spot would always produce for me. And um, then one day I went and I found like two in like two or three hours of diving around being super frustrated. I only found two shells. And so I went, oh, maybe it's just a bad day. It all depends on the tides and the currents and waves and washing in shells and all that. Oh, I'll I'll go again. I'll give it a shot. It's a far drive. I'm not going to tell you where it is. My secret spot. You can't come. If you go, you strip the place bare, and then I have, I get nothing. So secret spot. But I drive all the way out there again, a second time in a row, like in a couple of weeks or months or whatever like, oh, hardly anything, like five shells. Oh, this is getting frustrating. I like, thought we had a relationship here with this spot. You know, I thought, like, I, I come out here, and I honor you, and you're good to me, and you provide. And, you know, we had an agreement here. This is supposed to be my blessing on my days off. And I go, like, four or five times, and every time it's, like, sparse, like nothing. And I'm, like, literally, like, shame to walk back to my car with, like, nothing, because usually I'm, like, fat pocket full of shells. but like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, literally... And lately, it's just been like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, this is a bummer. And I literally almost came to the point of, I'm never going to this spot again. I was ready to blacklist it, to walk out on it, to pack up my dive gear, my my fins, and you're done. You're off the list. We have no relationship. I'm breaking up with you, just so you know that, right? One of those. Because I've literally done that to other spots that have betrayed me before. I've done. I'd never go back to you anymore. But this was my favorite spot. And after like five times of not Last time I went, I was actually considering, you know what, there's waves a little bit nearby. I'm only going to surf, and I'm not even, I'm writing you off. I'm done with you. And really, I went out, and I surfed, and I brought the dive gear along just in case. And I was out there surfing with, with Lance, our men's pastor, and we're catching some waves, and I just kind of felt something like, nah, give it another shot. You know, don't give up completely. Give it another shot. So I paddled in from surf, grabbed my gear, and I went out looking, and I scored. I scooped. I came back to the shower with a, I mean, fat pocket, I couldn't even hold anymore, full, all kind of shells. And and this was kind of something that I learned in this, that we're going to talk about here today, is even in relationships, now that was just like a silly little story, but in relationships, we've been trained to think and believe that if someone isn't meeting my expectations, they let me down, maybe they've been unfaithful, they betrayed me in one way or another, cheated on me, then you know what? Easy, done, I'm out, blacklist, I'm breaking up with you, we're, we're not meant to be, we're out of here. And the reality is, guys, marriage is a bigger deal than just someone doesn't make me happy, I'm out of it, and I'm walking away. And we're gonna talk a little bit about marriage and relationships today, we're gonna end it with kind of a heavy word on not giving up. And what happens, what do you do when someone betrays you? What do you do, because we're gonna talk about betrayal, we're actually gonna talk about adultery, sexual, physical cheating on a spouse here today. So my sermon today can be about that, but I believe that there's other ways that we're unfaithful and we betray people in relationships. It may not be all the way the full deal with sexual betrayal, but it could be that we just start looking around, we get distracted, and we're just not so excited about our spouse anymore or the relationship, that friendship that we had. And maybe we do something to just kind of walk away. Maybe it becomes... Work is more important than this other person. Maybe it comes making money and success is more important. Maybe the kids are so much more important that you don't even have any more time or love or energy to give to your spouse. Maybe it's just a distraction with stuff you're looking at on the computer. It could be material possessions. It could be a bunch of things that are distractions, media, movies, I don't know what it could be. But really, in relation to all of this we're talking this morning on, what do you do? Because it's, it's this, we know that from statistics, if I were to ask everybody that gets married in here or thinking about getting married, hey, on the day you get married or the day that you got married, were you thinking, hmm, this is cool, maybe in a year, two, five, maybe even 30 years. It's a good marriage, but I'm going to go ahead and cheat on this person. I'm going to go ahead and betray and become unfaithful to this person, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and ruin their relationship. None of us are thinking that going into it. And yet, statistics tell us that about half of all marriages end in divorce. That's a very, really gloomy statement. Now, I looked up and I did the real research, and it actually says that people that are Christians and active in their faith have got a little bit better shot than the rest of the world. And the, the, all the media and everything tells us, no, it's the same in Christians as it is in outside the church. So the reality is it says that, that those that are active in their faith, meaning they're going and they're living by God's approval and holding it together, they have a 35% more chance. But still there's a chance that there's going to come some unfaithfulness and some betrayal in a lot of relationships. So what I want to talk about here today is this. How do we respond when unfaithfulness has happened? Are we allowed to just give up? Should we just give up and walk out? And divorce is an option. Or if you're, you're dating, it's just, I'm done with you. Or you're in a friendship, and you're like, no, nah, you hurt me, so I'm out. Because for us, the way that we're trained in the culture is just like, man, that beach isn't giving me shells. I'm done with you. I'm not going back there anymore. I think that God has some lessons in scripture that say it's worth at least a try and that it's possible with him that he can fix anything and that we need to see how we should respond if there has been betrayal in our lives. So let's talk today about the story of Hosea and Gomer, most unfortunate name for a woman ever, Gomer. Can you imagine if that's, hi, I'm Gomer. Like it's just, it's a bummer. I hope no one's named Gomer in this room I'm so sorry. Anybody ever remember that old show Gomer Pyle? Super old. Who's old enough to remember that? Who who in here is just going, "Man, you guys are old in here," right? Remember Gomer Pyle? Well, go holy you Remember that one? Okay, Jim Neighbors. Anyway, that's a, that's a throwback. But here's this guy, Hosea, in the Bible. Here's his story. He's a man of God. He's a prophet. He speaks for God. He's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's just a guy that God says, I'm going to give you a bunch of words because I want you to talk to all my people in Israel and let them know they need to come back to me because they've walked away from me. They're disobedient. They betrayed me. I want them back because I love them. He gives these words to this guy, Hosea, and he goes, hey, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to marry a woman that will be unfaithful to you, that will betray you, that she'll be adulterous, she'll be a prostitute, she'll be, in some of your Bible versions, it actually says a whore. It actually says she's fully gonna be unfaithful to you. And God says, I want you to marry her anyway. And that she actually, in this story, she gives birth to several kids. The first one is Hosea's, we know that. The couple afterwards, we get the picture that she actually is unfaithful, and they're not Hosea's kids. And this happens... And you read in the book of Hosea, there's 10 chapters. The first three tell the story between this man and this woman. But her unfaithfulness, Gomer's unfaithfulness, and Hosea's response is actually a bigger picture. And what it's talking about, God has this book of Hosea to symbolize God's relationship to the people of Israel who have turned their back and been unfaithful to him and how he responds. But to take it a step further, it's actually talking to all Christians and followers of Christ everywhere is that we have all, as it says in, in Romans, right, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we all have betrayed God who loves us. And we still do, unfortunately, because the sinful nature isn't made perfect yet in our lives, but God has forgiven us and his response to us as we continue to unfortunately let him down. But the big picture in, in regards to earthly relationships today is I want to I want to bring in some symbolism and some spiritual growth into our lives, hopefully on how do we deal with one another in marriage relationships, maybe friendships, maybe dating relationships, where betrayal has come in, where there's been unfaithfulness. And I know this is going to be a heavy one today. We're going to talk about it because we need to talk about this stuff. We need to know what God is saying and he's suggesting to us and what he can do in the midst of hardship in our lives. So here's Hosea chapter one, verse two and three. Here's where the story starts. It says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. And it could say a bunch of things in different versions of, the, of your Bible, adulterous woman, unfaithful, whore even, but really the word here to, to focus on is unfaithful, that she sexually was unfaithful to him in the marriage. And he says, go marry this person, this prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. So here's the deal. He's a good godly man. He speaks for the Lord. He has a big job to do. Tell Israel warn him about sin. He marries this woman. Now, we don't know for sure if she was like unfaithful and adulterous and a prostitute before he married her or if it was her nature and it was going to happen later. But either way, it's, it's a picture of marriage. A godly man, he says, hey, I want to marry you, Gomer. Gomer's thinking, wow, that's awesome. If I get married, my life is set. I'm going to be provided for, taken care of. He seems like a good guy. He, he honors the Lord. This is good. They get married. The honeymoon stage, everything's going well. She gives birth to a son. Everything seems to be going good. And then slowly, because this is how it happens, right? In betrayal and unfaithfulness and adultery. It doesn't happen one day. Some of you guys have lived through it. Some of you guys may be headed towards it. We're going to talk about how to deal with it today. But it doesn't happen in one decision. You don't wake up and go, I'm going to go ahead and cheat on Hosea today. It's a slippery slope, Right? in all of our lives. It's kind of like, oh, uh, flirting a little too much with the other guys. Maybe Hosea's not home all the time, giving all the attention that he should to Gomer, his wife. She's kind of feeling neglected in some areas. She's looking around. This guy sure is nice. He's complimenting me all the time. This is going on. Maybe I got my eye on the mailman. He doesn't have much to do today. Maybe we could kind of, you know, you just, it, it's a slippery slope. It doesn't happen one time. But we get to the point, and here's where the story continues, is she actually goes out and she cheats on her husband, on Hosea. And I want to talk about, first of all, um, the, the, the biggest lie I see when it comes to unfaithfulness. And um, it's this. It's called the 80-20 lie. And now marriage teachers and therapists in the Christian world and outside of it all talk about this lie. It's, it's found in Hosea 2.5 where Gomer says, it says, she said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. She goes out. She cheats on him. She has two kids out of adultery, and it's not Hosea's kids. Now, Gomer did this, and we do this. It's the 80-20 lie. It's the lie that says, what I'm missing out on is better than what I currently have. It's this. We've all heard it before. The grass is greener on the other side. Here's the 80-20 lie that your spouse or your loved one that you're in relationship with can practically speaking only really meet up to 80% of your needs. That there's no perfect person, that all of your expectations and your, and your perfect needs and everything that you think of is gonna be 100%. We're just not perfect people like that. But at our best man, we can probably meet 80% of that other person's needs. And there's just some things where our personality isn't exactly the same, or we weren't created for, we don't have time for, or whatever. We, we can't be 100% perfect for everything that other person is thinking. But 80% is really good. And 80% means that you share life with someone, that, you, that you've made memories together, that you can look in your eye photos, and you've got strings of all these pictures of adventures, and, and valleys, and accomplishments, and highs, and lows, and victories, and, and all this shared life together. is you married this person at one time because you loved them. Stuff might have gotten weird, but there's still love somewhere in there. That there's kids that you bore together that actually look like the both of you that love you and you're called to love back. That you have this life that you built together. Now here's the deal. You have this 80% going for you, but you're looking at the 20% that you don't have. And the 80% lie is when we say it's going to be worth it if I trade in the 80% for what the 20% looks like. And we go out there, and what, this is what Gomer did, right? I've got Hosea, I've got all this good stuff, giving him a son and everything, but you know what? That looks good over there. And this is the first warning, and to be careful, and this is why unfaithfulness comes in, is we choose to trade all of those memories, all of those photos on Facebook and Instagram, all of that life together for something over there that looks like, oh, but there's, there's needs over there that that guy or that girl can provide that I'm not getting right now. And we, we trade in and we screw ourselves up. Here's the thing you got to know if you're saying, well, the grasses look greener on the other side. You need to know this, guys, that there's weeds and poop in their grass too. <laughs> Can I just say that? When you're looking over the fence and you go, man, that yard looks a lot better than mine. Look at all of this. There's weeds and poop in their yard too. You're just not close enough yet to be able to understand that that person has their own set of baggage problems, faults, mistakes, previous relationships that they're bringing in, and maybe you just haven't seen her with the makeup off yet. Are you guys hearing me? Maybe you haven't got close enough yet to realize that person has bad breath too. I guess we all do. It's the grass on the other side. It's got his own fair share of problems. Not to mention when you're tempted to go over there and and realize, well, they might have their own problems too. Not to mention, you're bringing your own baggage into that relationship as well. Just because you're running away from this person, your spouse, your loved one, whatever, that you're leaving, but you're bringing your stuff into that one as well. Here's the big point that I want to make today. One of them is the grass is greener where you water it. So water your own grass. Here's the mistake that Gomer made is, oh, that looks better, that looks, I'm going to leave Jose, I'm going to dig out. The problem was, She could have stayed and she could have made something incredible. And we need to be watering our own grass. How do we do that? Be present in your marriage, in your relationship. Be there. Be understanding. Be part of it. Be intentional. Intentionally set up times where you're going to sit and talk with that person. Learn to communicate. Like my wife and I have to set up date nights. She'll just say, hey, we're doing it tonight because it's, it's free. Or we're going to do one this Monday. She's telling me like, hey, we're going to set up on Monday nights and we're going to watch movies together um, in our bedroom. But you have to schedule stuff. You have to be intentional. Water your own grass. Feed into the relationship that you do have. Gomer would probably not have jumped out if they would have been mutually watering the grass in the relationship where they were. Be fun. Communicate well with one another. Bring God into it. You want your marriage to succeed? It feels like you're starting to look over the fence a little bit? Bring God into what you existing you have now that is existing. God, we need to pray more together. Oh, we need to say in our word, God, what do you want me to do? How do the two of you talk about the sermons, the Bible together, what God's teaching you in your life together? You bring God into the mix of it, that's the glue that's going to hold you together. You guys hearing me? So that's, that's what you do to avoid looking over the fence and again, guys, not all of you are going to commit adultery and sexually cheat on your spouse, but there's a lot of other ways that in our minds we've checked out and we've betrayed and we put other things in front of that person. And we say, my career is more important. I don't, I'm just going to work 100 hours and I don't need to spend any time with you. Or we don't communicate. We don't talk. There's just so many ways that we do it in the small things. But small things, you guys know, can lead to big things later. So we need to be watering our own grass. Now, here's, here's the response because some of us in this room have or will be the victim of betrayal. Be the person who's like Hosea, who has been wronged. That someone that you love has screwed up and they've been unfaithful to you in some way, shape, or form, or maybe will in the future. And we want to talk about that right now. So how does, how does Hosea respond to the betrayal and how are we supposed to respond? Actually, how does God respond when we are unfaithful to him? See, the reality is that, yeah, Gomer did that to Hosea, but God's using the whole book of Hosea to illustrate that my people who I love, who are called by my name, who I have relationship, they've walked out on me. And we're going to learn from the response. How does God respond to this? How did Hosea? How should we respond? Because some of us in this room here, we've been betrayed, we've been hurt, and we're the victim of something. So here's the first thing I want you to write down is you need to allow anger. Just write that down, real simple. Here's Hosea chapter two, verse eight, after she's gone out and done this stuff. um, Here's the idea of what's going on. It says, she doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has. See, the jilted husband, Hosea, God to us, us to our spouses, we have a right to be angry. You don't realize I was the 80% for you. I loved you, I was this. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I was there. says, it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal, which is a false God. But now I will take back the ripened grain and the new wine I generously provided each harvest season. In other words, I gave you everything. You don't realize it. I'm taking stuff back now. Some of your freedom is being pulled back. I'm going to withhold the blessings that I gave you. I'll take away the wool, the linen clothing that I gave her to cover her nakedness. I'll strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. In other words, you're going to have to come to an account for what you've done. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. Here's the first thing that you've got to understand. Hosea is angry, and he has a right to be angry. Just like God is hurt and angry when we choose to say, hi God, I love you, but I'm gonna live my life away from you and I'm gonna cheat on you with other things and myself and put other things in the place that you're supposed to have in my life. It hurts. God's bummed, Hosea's bummed, and let me tell you this right now, if you've ever been betrayed in here, you have a right to be bummed. You have a right to have anger. Why? Because it's a righteous anger. Now I'm not instigating and stirring up that you guys go out there and rage and be mad and get violent and all that. What I'm saying is this. If you don't deal with the problem and you don't bring it to light, then you're never gonna fix it and you're never gonna process it. If you don't allow anger, I was in a in an argument with someone once, and I wasn't kicking or punching or throwing things or screaming or any of this, but I was angry because the guy I was talking to had clearly wronged me and hurt me in deep ways. And we brought it up and we're trying to have a discussion so that we can get to hopefully some reconciliation on the other side, but guess what? I'm hurt and I have a right to be hurt because what you did to me was terrible. And so I'm gonna tell you how I feel because I need to process it. I need to vent it so that you can see how bad it is so that you can hopefully properly respond and we can work through this thing. Hosea has a right to say all of this stuff. God is hurt when we do this, when Israel did this stuff, that there is a time and a place for righteous anger. We have a right to be angry at sin. And when I was saying all this stuff to this person and they're going, hey, calm down. You don't need to get mad. Oh, look, you have an anger problem. I said, you hold on a minute right here. I have every right to be mad. This is an emotional thing. You've hurt me deeply. I have every right right now to express anger. And I want you to know from, uh, I talked to a therapist right after service this morning who does counseling for a living. And they said, that's so good. That's so good. What you're teaching there is we can never deal with emotions unless we let them out. That the human body, mind, soul, were designed so that we have to process and get the emotions out before we can deal with them. And so if you've been wronged in here, you have a right to be mad and to withhold some of the freedoms that you once have. I talk to a couple sometimes, like so-and-so is cheating, and so you know what, I'm mad, and I'm not letting them, like they have to unlock their phone and their computer for me to see everything. I don't want them going out with certain friends. All of that stuff, you know what that is? That's just normal consequences when you screw up. And if you are the person that failed, it should be your understanding that that's just going to happen. They have a right to be angry right now and hurt. And it may take years of processing before you come to a point of reconciliation and trust again, but you have a right to be angry. Are you guys hearing me this morning? Because it hurts us gravely when we bottle it up, sweep it under the rug, and try to just get by and go on with our own lives. You know what you're internalizing? Rage, anger, hurt, betrayal. You have to let that stuff out. So I'm saying that Hosea, when he did this, he allowed it to come to light so it could be dealt with. I got my appendix taken out a few weeks ago, and I wanted to leave it in there. And it was inflamed, and it was going to burst. But I said, I don't care. Just give me antibiotics. It'll solve it. I'll be good. And the doctor said, um, sorry, but we got to cut that thing out. I said, I don't want to cut out. It's going to inconvenience my life if I get it cut out right now. It's going to be messy. I don't want to deal with this. I'm supposed to be on fall break with my kids. I don't have time for surgery and for you taking a piece of my body out of my body. I don't have time for that right now. The doctor said, I don't care. It's going to be messy. It's going to hurt. It's going to take some time to heal but it's so much better when we get it out of you and you deal with it so that you'll be healthy from here on out. Are you guys getting what I'm saying in this? Is it unless you actually come to that place of going, I've been hurt, it sucks, I'm mad at you, you're never gonna find freedom if you bottle it up and, unless you deal with it. So first of all, there's a righteous anger. You would allow yourself to be angry and don't let the other person say, hey, calm down, you don't have a right to be angry. You do, it's just what you do with the anger. Remember it says in scripture, um, you can be angry, but in your anger, do not sin, right? You can come and say, hey, this is why I'm mad. You know what I found in reading all this week in different uh, articles and magazines about uh, counseling people who have gone through betrayal and unfaithfulness? And it said this, in the non-Christian ones and in the Christian ones, if the two people involved are more concerned about making it right, their relationship right, than they are about being right, then that marriage and that relationship actually has a great chance at reconciliation and overcoming the messiness and the hurt of unfaithfulness and betrayal. If you're committed to saying, I'm going to be angry, but I'm not going to stay angry, I'm not going to live in anger. I'm going to be angry at the sin, but I still want this thing to work because I think this has a chance. If both parties involved are more committed to the relationship than being right or being mad, then it has a great chance of surviving. So I don't know where you're at. could be in, in here that maybe someone here has like been suppressing something or you've you've spoken out and then you've gotten chastised for it. You need to be able to vent and to get through But right away, after it talks about Hosea's mad, don't miss this. It basically is saying, don't stay mad. Just don't stay there. This is what I, I titled the sermon. If you see it, it is, don't camp out in the valley. No camping in the valley. It says in Hosea 2, 14 and 15, it says, but then I will win her back once again. It's kind of crazy to think about that because she's the one that sinned. She should be winning back her husband. But here's what God is saying, what Hosea is saying. I will win her back again. I'm going to be angry because I have a right to be angry, but I'm not going to stay angry forever. I will win her back again. I will lead her into the desert, speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her. And transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And if in your other versions of the Bible it says the valley of Acor, which is a real valley outside of Jericho, but it, it's called the word Acor means trouble. And he's saying I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be angry, and I'm gonna talk about it. But then I'm gonna go, and I'm not gonna stay angry. I'm gonna walk through the valley of the trouble so that I can get to the doorway. Of hope. Now, that's really heavy and symbolic right there because Hosea and Gomer were in the valley of trouble, but Hosea says, if I walk with God, I can walk through this valley of trouble I'm in into a new area of hope in my life. Here's what you gotta understand is that God does that with us. He's bummed at our sin. It hurts him. It breaks his heart, but he doesn't stay angry. He walks us through hope in him so that we can get out of the trouble and into the gateway of hope. And in your relationship, if you've, been hurt and you're in trouble and you're mad and you're frustrated, let me tell you this, keep walking. Keep walking through that valley into the hope that God has for you. It may may, may prove to, to become a blessing in your life, even if it feels like you're walking it alone. If your spouse or your person in the relationship has checked out and they're doing their own thing, you keep walking out of that trouble into hope that you would allow forgiveness to come in there. Don't stay Mad, don't stay broken, don't stay hurt for long. It may take a while, but I'm just telling you, every day, surrender and submit one more thing to God in this thing. Oh, God, take it again. Take it again. God, it hurts too bad. There's a quote that I love from Winston Churchill, British Prime Minister, right in the early World War, and he says, When you're going through hell, keep going. That's a word for some of us here today. The valley of trouble, you're in it right now, and it hurts, and you're dealing with it, but keep walking. Keep walking because there is hope on the other side. And it may be that the relationship still doesn't work out, but you're going to do your part to keep on walking so that you can get through there. Well, what does it look like to to walk through that? Well, hold on to God, because only God can walk you through the trouble into hope. What does that mean? Well, it means you don't just sit there and stew and be mad and be angry and be sad and pity party and frustrated or whatever. What do you do? Look to God for hope. You can't find hope on your own. There's only one exit out of the valley of trouble, and that only God knows where that is. So get in your Bible. Go to church. Surround yourself with people that are going to speak life into you. One of the best things that you can do when you've been betrayed is not do it alone. I found this out by reading... Christian articles, by reading the Word, by reading in psychology magazines and therapy and counseling, one of the greatest things that you can do is find people that have your best interests in mind and that are constantly, daily, speaking into your life, speaking life, encouragement, helping you to walk through that so you don't have to walk it alone. Not to mention, you ask God, He's going to give His Holy Spirit to walk with you. You're going to feel a peace that you can't understand and you don't know why, but God's going, I'm trying to get you to keep walking because I want to see you victorious on the other side. I know you've been wronged. I know it hurts, but keep walking through the hurt so you can walk to the hope. Amen? This is, is this a little bit heavy today here? I know it's heavy, but I, I believe it's so good for our, for our lives. Now, look, here's the next thing in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. It says, then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Wait. <laughs> she's committing adultery out there. She's cheating on me. She's, she's hurt me beyond words. God says, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods. Now, here's how the story ends. Hosea actually listens to God, obeys, and you know what he does? He gets his own money together, and he buys his own wife out of prostitution. She's in the business of selling herself. He gets the money, and he buys his own wife out of prostitution and brings her home and he loves her, and he forgives her, and he redeems her. Think about it. We're going to be taking communion a little bit later here today. Isn't that exactly what God did for us? We've been adulterous. We turned away. We've been unfaithful. We've been living lives for ourselves. And God goes, you know what? I'm going to buy them back with the price of my own son on the cross at Calvary, and he's going to go down. He's going to die on that cross. He doesn't deserve it. He's going to take the hit so that they don't have to. I'm going to buy them back so that I can have a relationship with us. It makes it hard for us. we got to come to terms with this. When we consider in our heads and in our hearts communion and what that means, we've been unfaithful and God's buying us back, it makes it pretty hard for us to continue on holding a grudge against someone in our lives that has wronged us and not to at least begin to explore the hope that possibly with time, with maybe counseling, with a lot of communication, whatever, that there actually could be hope to redeem that which was once broken and turned away. Now, please hear my heart on this. I'm not saying that everything is going to be successful because there is sometimes when in your love and your forgiveness and winning that person back, they're not going to choose to receive it and they're not going to choose to reconcile with you. I'm very aware of that. And I know that some of you have been in that situation or are walking through that. But what God requires of me and of you personally, is that you would do your best to understand the love and forgiveness that God has shown to me that I can at least try my best to offer that to someone else. So it doesn't mean, guys, that you just love, love, love blindly, and you let yourself become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you allow the unrepentant, repetitive sin to keep going on in in your life towards you and against you. If there's a abuse or something like that involved, you definitely do not have to put up with it. But what the Bible's teaching us is the best of your ability that you could show the same love and forgiveness towards others that God has shown for you. But they don't deserve it. They totally wronged me. What do you think God is saying in heaven? They don't deserve it. They've wronged me, but I love them. In fact, I put money, I put my son's life on the line because that's how much I love them. That's a, heavy, that's a heavy calling on us. So you can't do it, I think, on your own You've got to ask God to help you on this one. And guys, forgiveness is not the same as trust. It's not the same as reconciliation. Here's what I believe. If you can learn to forgive someone else, you're setting yourself free, that you don't have to be caught up in the bitterness and junk and uh, feelings anymore. You walked through the valley of trouble to hope. You get forgiveness in your life for that person. That doesn't mean that they're a good person. That means you forgive them and you set yourself free. Are you hearing me? They wronged you, and they did, and they'll face consequence. They have to deal with it, but at least you're getting yourself free. That's why I think forgiveness is awesome, but it's the first step. Because if the other side, it takes two to tango, right? If the other side isn't repentant and owning up to what they've done, then that marriage, that relationship still might not work out. Can I be that blunt to say that? Because it takes two people together, coming together. That's what the relationship's all about. But you do your best to go, you know what? I don't care. They've done all this. I'm just going to forgive them because God forgave me. And it's probably not going to work out because that person still is not turning. They're not coming back. And no trust can ever be built up. But at least for me, I'm going to set myself free with forgiveness. I hope this can set some of you guys free here today. Forgiveness is at least the first step. Maybe the trust will come in time. Years of walking through relationship and counseling with this other person. Maybe it'll never come and the marriage just isn't going to work out. But you be accountable to God to say, God, with the love that you've shown me and forgiven me in my life, I'm going to at least offer that towards other people. You guys get that here today? I'm not expecting that. Forgiveness instantly equals trust, and your marriage is a shining example, and it's back to normal. That takes time. Grace is a process, but it's got to be both people involved. You do what you can. Then here's the last point that I have, is at the end of Hosea in chapter 10, it's actually a word for our relationships. It says, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, the sin, the brokenness, the unfaithfulness. Plow that stuff up, get through the troubled times for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. You know what he's saying? Ideal situation here is you invite God into your relationship. You do things God's way, you plant the good seeds of righteousness and you'll harvest a crop of love. But if there is hard ground, that you work through it. You don't camp out in the valley of trouble. You work your way through it so that you can seek the Lord and come to that door of hope on the other side. That the only time you look back when you've been someone that's been hurt and betrayed, the only time you look back is to remind you of how far God's brought you. You don't look back to go, well, you you know, you still do this back then. We got to get over that bringing the stuff up, the past up because the past is the past. We've walked out of that valley. We've walked towards hope. Well, if you've been hurt, you have been hurt. You have a right to be angry. But at some point, you got to walk out of that because God wants healing and freedom for your life. And that person has to deal with consequences, but you are not the one to keep bringing it up and being reminded of that place because all you're doing is going right back to that valley of trouble and camping back down in it again. If there's someone from that valley saying, hey, remember here? You want to come back and visit? You take the postcard. You look at it and go, I remember when I was there. I'm never going back there again. And you throw it and you move on with your life and move forward in the relationship. It's only going to hurt it if you keep looking back. Here's what Jesus said about looking back. And I love this. He said this in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow, right? We're talking about plowing through the hard ground and the troubles in our lives. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Don't bring that old stuff up. If you're in a place right now where you're going through it, go through it. But as you start to get through it, don't go back camping in that valley ever again. Leave that valley behind. Let God bring in to bring the healing. Help him to allow you to forget some of that stuff. Here's the thing that I do know about looking back sometimes, and this is the, the thing that I say about scars. You know, we get scars on our body and stuff like that. The scars are awesome if you understand the value of the scar because it's a reminder that you look back that God healed something that was broken in your life and that if the only time you're looking back at a betrayal or unfaithfulness is to remind you of what God did and the restoration that he's brought, then that's okay. But if you're looking back to go open up that wound again, don't do it. Don't look back. This is practical stuff here today and I want to pray with you guys here today because I believe it's practical for all of our lives whether you've been betrayed, whether you've been thinking about betraying. You guys know that Ashley Madison website, right? The the big hack that happened. Ashley Madison website where everybody was going in to say, do you want to have an affair? And people would click on and go, yes, I'm interested. Show me how to have an affair and cheat on my spouse. Well, the website got hacked. 30 million people across America had clicked on and had either had an affair, or were at least thinking about it, and now all their names are coming out and exposed. There's a lot, of, a lot of craziness that's being stirred up in a lot of marriages out there, and a lot of talks that people are having to have. But there's that many people that are out there at least thinking about it. And it may not be complete sexual adultery, but again, remember what I said, it starts with the small things. You take the focus off your spouse, and you start going, my career, my status, my fame, my kids, my stuff, my this, my that. And it's a slow, slippery slope that can lead to something that could really hurt us in our lives. And I hope today we've at least taken a look. I know it's kind of a quiet crowd today and there's a lot to be thinking and praying about. But I want to pray for you guys that God would bring healing to whatever's going on in your lives. Can we bow our heads and and pray right now? God, I just want to pray first and foremost if there's people right now that are camped in that valley of trouble. They didn't ask for it. They didn't ask to be there things have happened, circumstances and events, and they're stuck and they're hurting and life is terrible and they don't know if there's any hope in this relationship. Lord, I don't want to make light of it and try to make like there's just an instant easy cure-all because according to your word, it takes work and it takes a decision on our part to allow reconciliation to happen on both parties. But Lord, I pray that we could learn at least a bit of a lesson from Hosea here today and from your heart ultimately. Lord, that reconciliation is possible, that healing is actually possible, that hope is actually possible. In all the articles and books that I've been reading this week, looking at it, whether from a Christian perspective or not, it says that hope is possible if both parties are set about on reconciling and walking through the trouble and getting healing and getting therapy and counseling if it need be, but getting to that place of hope. Lord, I know that you have the power to bring us to that place of hope. Lord, it may be, sadly to say, that some of these relationships are still not going to work out. But Lord, even in that, after, we, after we've tried our best, you still promise hope to those that have been hurt and devastated and that maybe the relationship still didn't work out. You still promise hope to that person because they're seeking you and they're walking with you. So Lord, I pray that we could receive that this morning, that we would take whatever first step is necessary in our hearts, in our minds, even in our actions or words this week. Lord, to deal with the hurt, to deal with the betrayal allow ourselves to express anger, to walk right out of that anger into learning to love and to forgive. Lord, to do it your way because you did it for us. Lord, if some of us have walked through it, to not look back and to go and bring that stuff up again. Lord, help us right now in our relationships to water our own grass, to build into the 80% that we do have that is good, that is amazing, that is ordained by you. Lord, so we wouldn't have to look over the fence into any anyone else's lives or anybody else or anything else to meet our needs. And Lord, I want to pray right now as we've been praying that, that there may be some people in here that they need help from God because they've gotten their lives into turmoil. Maybe they're the one that's done the unfaithfulness or they're the the victim of it, but their lives are hurting right now. And we know, according to your word, that God, you can't really help us and walk us through life unless we have a relationship with you unless we have allowed you to come in to change us, to fix us, to forgive us, to heal us. And some of us in this room maybe have never said yes to this God that only wants to bless your life. You've never completely been all in in your heart to really know that you are a Christian and to allow God to do whatever he needs to do in your life. But if you know today you need to make that decision and you need to say yes to Jesus, then please allow me right now to lead you in a prayer that will make things right with God right now. I'm gonna say a prayer with you and for you that would lead you into a new relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing him to work in your life, both now and eternally. So here's what we're going to do. Before I pray this prayer, I'm going to ask you to let me know that you're praying with me. I'll pray the words out loud. I'm going to ask you to pray them in your heart of hearts to God. He hears you. He judges you on your heart right now. You don't need to say it out loud right now. You can go tell someone after service that you prayed it, but right now this is a big heart issue. So I'm going to pray the words of this prayer out loud. If you would like to join me into saying yes to Jesus right now, that you need his help and that you want him in your life. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I just want to know who I get to pray with here today. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. On the count of three, if that's you, would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Would you lift those hands up everywhere right now? I want to look at you. Keep them up. I want to count you. I see one person here. Two, three, four. 5, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. So 10 or 11 people, go ahead and put your hands down right now. And if that was you, I just want you to pray this with me in your heart of hearts. Real simple. God, I need you. God, I want you. Lord, I believe that you sent Jesus to forgive me of my sin and my wrongdoing and to fix my life and to put me back in a relationship with you. He went to the cross to pay the price for my sin and separation from you. He overcame death itself by rising on the third day, meaning he overcame death physically, but also spiritually for me, for my sin, for my wrongdoing and my baggage. Lord, I receive what Jesus did at the cross. From this moment on, I will follow you. Lord, your ways are better than my ways. I need the power that you have to help me fix my life and to to change it. I believe in you. I'll read my Bible, God, to know more about you, to pray and talk to you, to go to church, to get baptized. Lord, everything that you are offering me, I need to be a new creation, and I'm looking to you for help right now. Here's my life, as messed up as it may be. Please make something beautiful out of it. I trust you. I love you. Thank you for being my God right here and right now. And in Jesus' name, the church says amen. Amen, amen for those people that just said yes right now.